Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Well, hey, hope you're doing well. Uh, we are in a new series for this season of Advent called Prepare the Way. And Advent is really a season of expectation. And in this time, we are invited to wait and and long and have expectation for Christ to come. Now, on one level, we're looking forward to the celebration of Christ coming at Christmas. On another level, we're looking forward to the day when Christ will come again uh, and he will set everything right, what theologians call Jesus' second coming. But at another level, we have expectation in this time for Christ to come into our lives, even here and now, in a fresh way. And, and so this is a season uh, of expectation. We are invited to sort of wait on tiptoes for Christ to come. Now, some of us here today are are probably struggling to have any sort of expectation that that might happen. And perhaps today as you're here, you're just like, you're like barely hanging on. And and so what we're talking about today is just so important, so important. And I want to begin this morning by sharing with you a photo, which you'll see on the screen. And this is a photo of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. So if you visited London, you'll probably recognize this building, a famous building. It's one of the most beautiful cathedrals in the world. But you'll notice something strange here, that there is smoke all around the building. So, so what is going on here? Well, this is a photo that was taken during World War II, during the Nazi Blitz, the Nazi bombings of London. And somehow, amidst all the bombs, all the assaults, somehow St. Paul's stood. I just love that. It's such a beautiful picture. It's like standing there in defiance, these forces of evil coming against the city. It's just standing out like a beacon of hope. And really, that's a picture of the message that Christ has for us today. That amidst all the trials and afflictions and, and, and tribulations of life, that we are called to stand that we are called to remain faithful, to persevere to the end. And so in this series, we're looking at some letters that Jesus wrote to seven churches of Asian Minor found in the book of Revelation. You can put the map up. There we go. And so last week we looked at Jesus' letter to the church in, in Ephesus. And John, who received this vision from Jesus, he was on exile on the island of Patmos there at the bottom left. And, and today we're looking at a letter that Jesus wrote to the church in Smyrna, which is just about 50 miles north of Ephesus. Now they had an excellent harbor. And so that meant this was a a commercially thriving city. It was a, it was an extremely important city in uh, this region, but crucially for the Christians uh, in, in Smyrna, they were facing a very, very difficult situation. They were experiencing persecution for their faith in Jesus. They were experiencing poverty. Uh, And so Jesus writes them this letter to encourage them to persevere amidst all these challenging circumstances. And and really, Jesus goes in all these letters, and we're only going to be able to look at four of them because there's only four weeks in Advent, but um, really, Jesus goes in all of these letters to help his people become what we might call resilient disciples. In other words, followers of him who are not only able to survive the surrounding culture, 
but to become the kinds of people who are able to thrive amidst a hostile culture surrounding them. Now, of course, they lived in the Roman Empire, uh, which was, was a very hostile place for followers of Jesus to live. And, and we don't live there, but we do live in sort of a digital Rome. And we have all these sort of influences and pressures coming at us. And even if they're not as overt uh, as what they faced uh, in, in the first century here, nonetheless, we face challenges. We face assaults of our own kind. And, and really, again, Jesus' heart in this is to help not only the original hearers of this letter, but even to help us to become the kinds of followers of him who can really thrive and stand from amidst all the different pressures and challenges of life. So that's, that's sort of the big picture, but let's take a look at this letter. We're in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn there or you can follow along on the screens. And the letter begins with these words, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. So each letter begins with a reference to Jesus, and this is drawing on the description of him that we read in chapter one of Revelation, when when John saw the, the risen, ascended Christ in a vision. And what we see here, it says that Jesus is the first and the last. In other words, that tells us that Jesus isn't just a good dude, okay? That he is the first and the last, that he is being identified with the eternal God. Secondly, it says that he, quote, died and came to life again. And this is, of course, referring to Jesus' crucifixion, his death on our behalf, and his resurrection from the dead. And and this is a significant statement. Uh, Gordon Fee, who's a New Testament scholar, he, he says this. He says, whatever else a suffering church may need to hear at the heart of things is the reality of Christ's resurrection. So, I mean, think about this. If you're suffering for your faith, think of what Jesus' resurrection means for you. Fee goes on to say this. He said, in his incarnation, Jesus experienced our singular reality of death but through his resurrection, guaranteed our own future. And so in other words, at the start of this letter, what we're being reminded of, what Jesus is saying in effect is, church, no matter what you go through, remember this, I overcame. I overcame even death. And so that means no matter what you go through, your victory is secure. Your victory is secure. And so we're being reminded of this right at the start of this letter. And then in verse 9, Jesus says this. He says, I know. Now, what, what, what does he know? He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I love that. So just as we saw in his letter to the church at Ephesus, Jesus is starting this letter with an affirmation of his personal knowledge of this church. He's saying, I, I know he's not far off. He's saying, look, I'm not unconcerned. He's saying, I know, I know your situation. I know what you're going through. And, and for everyone here today, Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows your heartache. He knows your depression. He knows your anxiety. He knows your financial concerns. He knows all the stuff you're going through. Jesus says, I know. And there are three specific things that, that Jesus says he knows about this church in, in Sperna. First, he says, I know your afflictions. Second, he says, I know your poverty. And third, I know about the slander that you faced. 
Now, for, for this church, all of these things are interconnected because this is written to a group of people. They're following Jesus in the midst of an intensely pagan, like just extremely hostile uh, environment. And I, I just have to share a story. Uh, I once visited a museum in Scotland and, and they had a display. They had a thing on, on Roman religion. It said a tolerant religion. I'm thinking, have you read history? Have you read it? I literally wrote a letter to the curator of that museum. I just like was citing from like Oxford University Press, like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Sorry, I just, <laughs> I triggered myself there. <laughs> Anyways, so, so the, these are followers of Jesus in like this intensely pagan uh, in, environment. So just think about what they're going through. So there was a, te- a temple dedicated to the Roman emperor Tiberius in the city. This was one of the central locations for emperor worship. And so to not join in with that, to not just go with the cultural flow in this context was to sort of make yourself stick out like a sore thumb and invite not just, oh, just kind of a condescending Facebook comment, but to invite really serious persecution. Like what? So it's referred to as, as affliction. What does that refer to? Well, that refers to trials of all kinds. All kinds. So just at one level, of course, you know, maybe being made fun of, like, oh, those Christians. And so that's kind of like the low end of the spectrum. But then it kind of ratchets up from there. It includes being socially excluded uh, to next to being economically Persecuted. So just as an example of this, one time uh, coming back from the airport, I, I uh, took an Uber, and I, and I always like to talk to my Uber drivers, and uh, I noticed that the guy, he looked uh, like he was Middle Eastern, but he had a cross hanging from his mirror, so that, w- that intrigued me, so I asked him where he was from, he said he was from Egypt, and, and I said, well, tell me your story, how did you come here? He said, well, I, uh, and, and, and he said, I, uh, oh yeah, he said, I, I worked in a bank in, in Cairo uh, for 15 years, uh, I did good work, but he said, I never got promoted. He says, do you know why? I said, no. He said, because I was a Christian. And eventually he said, I just, I just gave up. I had no opportunity, no economic opportunity. So I said, I'm coming to the United States. And so that's why he came. So that's an example uh, of, it gives you kind of an insight to the kind of economic persecution that the early church would have faced, but actually it was much more severe. Not only would they maybe not been able to be promoted, but they wouldn't even able to get jobs in many cases. Oh, you're not going to participate in, in the emperor worship? You're not going to uh, join with, with temple prostitutes? Uh, you can't work with us. That's part of the trade guilds. So many of these people couldn't even get employment or at least adequate employment to pay the bills. They are suffering poverty for their faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I know. I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. I know your poverty. And um, he again says, again, I know your afflictions and your poverty. And, and so what he's, and it's interesting to note, most of the other letters to the churches actually have some word of correction that Jesus gives. But in this letter, there is no criticism, no correction whatsoever. Jesus is just like, way to go, guys. He's just affirming these people. He's like, right on, don't give up, keep going, just keep going. So Jesus is like cheering them on. And I don't know about you, but, but I can actually suffer a lot if I know that Jesus is in it with me. And so he's saying, I know, guys, look, I see, this hasn't gone unnoticed, I see what you're going through, and I'm with you in it. And he's just reassuring them of that. But he goes on to say something I just love, and he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. 
And what we, we see here is that sometimes the way we see ourselves or the way others might see us is actually not the way that Jesus sees us. So most people would look at this early church and say, you know what, you guys, gosh, look at these Christians, they're poor and blah, blah, blah. And Jesus is saying, you know what, you guys are the richest people in town. You are rich in where, in the, where it matters most. That's where you're rich. Some of the people, they look like they got it all, but actually they're poor and you're rich. Um, uh, I've got too many stories. I'm going to have to hold that one back. Okay. But basically, um, our culture would tell us, here, here's what matters. How much money you have in the bank, how, how many Instagram followers you have, maybe how in shape you are. But what Jesus sings, actually what matters most is your heart before me, is, is your fidelity, is your faithfulness to me. And, and he's saying, I see that in you. And he's saying, you are rich. These people, he is affirming them. He is affirming them so greatly. And, and he goes on in verse 9. He says, I know about the slander, those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, these are strong words. So I want to pause here for a moment to, to unpack this so there's not misunderstanding. Because at, at, at first glance, this might seem like, is this like an anti-Jewish statement? Is this like an anti-Semitic remark? Like, what is going on here? And I want to make very clear that it is not. You have to understand that John, who was the human author of this letter, he himself was a Jew. Jesus, who is actually the divine inspirer of this letter, he, in his human nature, was a Jew. The early church was Jewish to the core. And so this is clearly not an anti-Semitic uh, uh, statement that, that these uh, people who clung to the ancient Jewish hope of the coming Messiah, and they believed that was fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. And so what is going on here? Well, well there were Jews in the city of Smyrna, who rejected Jesus as the Messiah uh, of Israel. And they were accusing the early church of all kinds uh, of wickedness and trying to get them in trouble with the Roman powers that be. And actually the word Satan, it's, it's important to know that that actually literally means the accuser. And so that's why that, that's brought in here. It's not a derogatory comment. It's simply describing the reality in Smyrna, okay? Uh, so with that said, it, it says that the church in Smyrna was being uh, slandered. They're being falsely accused. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but, but for me, there's almost nothing more uh, painful than uh, when, when you're slandered. Uh, it's just so painful. Uh, but Jesus is saying, look, I, I see that. That has not gone unnoticed. And I know the truth. I know that's not true. And when I see you, I see faithfulness. And friends, that is healing. That, that is so healing to hear that word of affirmation from the Lord. Maybe I'll share just a quick story to illustrate. Um, uh, one time I, I experienced uh, slander and uh, man, that hurts so bad. And right around this time, I, uh, I went to visit a, a ministry in Pasadena that does a lot of kind of different kinds of prayer ministry. And uh, there's a guy that prayed for me who I'd never met in my entire life. Uh, yet as he was praying for me, God actually gave him a prophetic word for me about this very thing. That he, he, God gave him the scripture about when, when the young uh, King David, before he was king, that he went out to bring food to his brothers on the battle lines when Goliath, they're at the, the battle and Goliath was taunting the people of God and, and how actually uh, David's brothers accused him of having wrong motives and having this desire to, to, to face Goliath. But just a few verses prior, God speaks over him, this is a man after my own heart. And so this guy had this prophetic word for me that just as, again, 
again, I didn't even say anything about this, that, that even though these words had been spoken, actually God saw me and that he saw that I was a man after his arm. For me, that was like, whoa, that was so healing. And so I, I kind of share that to illustrate, just to give you the sense that this isn't just a historic letter, that this is, we serve a living God and he sees you. He really, he knows you. You might not feel that right now. You might be in a hard season, but he sees you. He knows you and, and, and he knows your heart and, and he's speaking words of life over you. That is his heart. That is who we serve. And so he's speaking these words of life uh, over the church at Smyrna. He's saying, I see you. You've been faithful to me. I know these things aren't true. But one of the things we also see here is that there are different voices that come at us, right? So, so first of all, there's the voice of God, uh, but there's also the voice of others. Sometimes those are true <laughs> and helpful. Sometimes those are not so true and, and, and not so helpful. Uh, there's even our own kind of inner dialogue, and sometimes same thing. Sometimes, and that's a mixed bag, right? And so one of the things that is, is so important that, and also we see here that actually that there's an accuser. Satan, he comes to, 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 to speak words of lies and condemnation and, and threats and intimidation. And so one of the questions this raises for us is what voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the right voice? Are, are, are you really letting God's voice define your reality? And, and what that means, therefore, is that we really need to just learn to, to recognize God's voice. And that, that's a journey. But one of the things, I, you know, this is just a side note, but you, we need to be immersed in the scriptures to really get a sense, of, oh, this is God's voice. We need to spend time in prayer, getting just acquainted with God, not only talking to him, but even listening and letting him speak into our lives. And really for me, this is just a, a make it or break it thing to really listen and recognize God's voice because again, there's so many voices coming at us. So just as an example, as a church planner, I can't tell you throughout the years I've had various people say, you know, why, why are you church planning? I mean, that is so hard. Like that is so hard. The financial struggle, all these things are hard. Why would you do that? Reason? I, I heard the voice of God. And so at the end of the day, I don't care how hard it is. I, I know the one I serve, you know? And so it's so important. You will have voices coming out to discourage you from God's plan for your life. And so it is so important that you tune in to his voice. You are not discouraged, okay? That's just so important. So, so Jesus says that he knows their situation. He knows their affliction. He knows their poverty. He, he knows the slander they've been uh, experiencing. Uh, but he also goes on to give them a, a warning. And it's not to scare them, but it is to prepare them. So in verse 10, he says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. So Jesus is warning the church in Smyrna of suffering uh, that is to come, and he's doing this out of his heart uh, of love, and, and he wants them to be prepared so that they can persevere, so they can really keep the faith for the long haul. Now, a, a couple things to notice uh, about this verse. First, notice that, that it isn't God who's causing their suffering. He says here that the devil will put some of you in prison. So that's just important to note. But second, it says that this will go on for 10 days. Now, in John's writings, sometimes he uses numbers like this in a, in a kind of a loose kind of metaphorical way. So it's not clear if this is like literally 10 days or just a loose sense of a, a certain period of time. But, but what is clear is that Jesus is saying that there is a limit to the suffering. It's not going to go on forever, that there is a limit to the suffering you're going to endure. But the third thing here to notice is that there's suffering you might not want to hear this, <laughs> but it is actually a direct result of their faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, sometimes there's, there's, there's a theology that, I, and I, I, for the life of me, I don't understand this, but there's a theology that's actually very popular in certain parts of the world that would say that if you just have enough faith, then, then you're not going to go through hard things, that you're not going to have to go through suffering, that maybe even you'll get a Rolls Royce, I don't know. And, 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 and so that's just, we just see here, that just, that just is, is just antithetical to what we see here, that actually these people are suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because they are faithful to Jesus, okay? And, and actually Jesus tells us that we are to expect that kind of suffering. He said, pick up your cross daily and, and follow me. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't blessing in the Christian life. I want to I make that clear. Paul says uh, in 2 Corinthians, you can put the slide up, he says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. So in other words, the greater part is the blessing, but of course, that doesn't mean the suffering isn't real, okay? Now, another thing we see here is that in his mercy, that, that God, God, God can warn us. So I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but about a year ago, uh, God gave me a word that I was in a winter season and that our church was in a winter season. And I was like, oh, come on. Are you serious? That is not what I wanted to hear. I'm like, I wanted to hear the harvest is imminent, you know, but that, that's not what I heard. And so that was such a mercy from God, though, because that helped me reorient my expectations. And so I could, oh, this is the season. It's not that God's not doing stuff. It's just that it's not the above the surface stuff. It's, it's the beneath the surface kind of deep work that you might not see for a while, but then later on, comes this fruit. And so sometimes God can warn us to prepare us. Again, that, that's what this is about. He is preparing this church. And he's also, however, uh, encouraging them. He says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Uh, in John 16, 33, Jesus says this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And see, because of the victory of Jesus that we can face trials and tribulations with confidence and even peace in our life. And my favorite illustration of this, I, I think I've shared this once before, but I'll share it again, uh, is, is the account of, of the martyrdom of a man named Polycarp. And what's so significant for, for this letter is, is that Polycarp was actually the bishop of this church. He was the bishop of this church, and he was actually discipled by the apostle John. He was just this great man of faith. And so I want to read just a few portions of the account of his martyrdom. It's actually just tremendously inspiring how, how he handled this. And so as Jesus prophesied, this tremendous persecution uh, broke out, and so many Christians were, were killed. Many were even tortured for their faith in Jesus. Of course, Polycarp, he was this uh, uh, Christian leader. A bishop is like a pastor to pastors, okay? And so because he was this high-level Christian leader, they're like, we're coming for Polycarp, right? And so Three days before he was arrested, actually he was praying, and, and we were told that he had a vision, but the upshot of it is that the Lord warned him that he would be martyred. And, and so he was prepared. Again, that was the Lord's mercy to prepare him. So one night he was hiding out in a cottage, and it says, quote, the police and horsemen came at supper time with their usual weapons as if coming out against the robber, a robber. That evening, they found him lying down in the upper room of a cottage. He could have escaped but he refused, saying, God's will be done. When he heard that they had come, he went down and spoke with them. They were amazed at his age and steadfastness. And some of them said, why did we go to so much trouble to capture a man like this? Think of them. Like they got all their you know, weapons and all their stuff. I'm like, wait, and this, this kind of this gentle, humble old guy, like really, for this guy? 
But immediately it says he called for food and, and drink for them and asked for an hour to pray uninterrupted. They agreed and he stood and prayed so full of the grace of God that he could not stop for two hours. The men were astounded and many of them regretted coming to arrest such a godly and venerable old man. Now it says when he finished praying, they, they brought him to the city and they brought him into the arena. And he was, as he was being brought in, it says, uh, a voice came from heaven, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. Now no one, it says, no one saw who had spoken, but our brothers who were there heard the voice. And by the way, this is from the earliest account of martyrdom outside the New Testament. It says, now Polycarp, it, he was brought before the proconsul, who was like the Roman leader uh, in, in that area. And, and he tried to pressure Polycarp to renounce his faith in, in Christ. And he said, quote, have respect for your old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. In other words, kind of basically say, I'm giving my allegiance to Caesar. I'm renouncing Christ. Repent and say down with the atheist. Now this is strange, but back then they called Christians atheists because we did not believe and put our faith in the emperor or the pantheon. Okay, so that's what that means. Now interesting, okay, I pointed that out. Okay, so, so the proconsul continued, swear, urged the proconsul, reproach Christ. In other words, like, like, like dis Christ, you know, and I will set you free. But listen to Polycarp's reply. He said, 86 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The proconsul threatened him. He said, I have wild animals here and I will throw you to them if you do not repent. And listen to his reply. Polycarp said, call them. In other words, he's like, okay, like bring it. And he said, it is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. And so the proconsul tries to pressure him further. And he says, if you despise the animals, I will have you burned. Polycarp replies, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire, of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. So it says they prepared everything and they were going to actually nail him to this stake uh, while they lit the fire. But he said, you know what? I'll just stand here. You don't even need to do that. I'll just, I'll just stand here. And so, so he did that. And as he's standing, he's praying and they light this enormous fire, but, but something miraculous happens that actually it doesn't burn him. He's just standing there like, 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 like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in the furnace. He's just standing there. He's not being burned by the fire. They're getting so frustrated at this point. And so eventually they, they send out the executioner and eventually with, with a sword he takes Polycarp's life. But because of how he faced his martyrdom, just this, this, this brutal thing, with such calm and, and confidence and peace, it says that the people in the crowd were amazed. And, and the sense I get from the account is that I wouldn't be surprised if some people there actually came to faith in Jesus just through watching the courage of this man and the confidence and the peace which he had. But basically the punchline is this, that because of Jesus, he, so how did Polycarp have that kind of confidence to persevere? Well, because of the victory of Jesus that gave him this confidence to persevere to the end, to have this peace. Jesus says here, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. How is that possible? Because of Jesus' sure victory for you and for me. And and Jesus goes on back to Revelation 2. And he goes on to say, he says, I tell you, the devil put some of you in prison. So again, Jesus is warning out of his compassion. He's warning the church at Samaritan. The devil put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, I, I think one of the reasons we can struggle so much when we go through suffering 
uh, is because we don't have God's perspective on, on what we're going through. And I find it so often that we can have sort of an oversimplified view of reality. Like it's a simple cause and effect thing. Like if I'm faithful, then everything's going to go well, right? We have this very oversimplified understanding, but Jesus is giving them a sense of that actually reality is far more complicated than that. Why? Well, there are some other agents involved, right? Not only are there other human beings, the Romans, but also even like there's this whole dimension above all this, uh, uh, namely this whole spiritual reality. And so what God is showing the church at Smyrna is that there's this bigger picture, that there's a spiritual battle going on, and actually the devil himself will be behind this persecution that they will face. Now, just, just briefly, I, I don't have time to argue for this, but the Bible teaches, if you're new to Christianity, the Bible teaches that just as there is, are good spiritual beings, God and, and angels, that also there are evil, malevolent spiritual beings, namely the devil and, and his, his demons, okay? If you have questions about that, happy to talk to you about that after the service. But, but the, the teaching of the Bible, these things are very real. Uh, and, and the fact that Jesus mentions this tells us that that having an awareness of this reality is very important for you and for me if we are to persevere. It's very important. If you want to persevere through trials, through, through suffering, through adversity, you need to have an awareness of this bigger picture that even just right now as we're talking, there's actually a bigger picture going on in your life that there is an accuser who Jesus says comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Sometimes it's like, gosh, why is life so crazy? Why is this so hard? Like one thing after another. Well, guess what? You have an enemy. And he will work overtime to, to undermine your faith in Jesus Christ. And so, so, so there's this spiritual battle, and, and somehow we're a part of it. And somehow the Bible says there's even this great cloud of witnesses, and they're like, they're like cheering us on. And, and, and somehow like our thoughts and our words, our actions, they're not just about us. They're actually part of this bigger picture that, that's going on. And so somehow we, we have to get beyond just the world we can see physically and, and get, get a view uh, that, that there's this bigger reality if we are to make sense of our lives. We need this bigger perspective. And, and, and so, so really one of the points of this letter is really that, that you will never understand the trials in your life unless you understand this, this larger dynamic. Um, one, just one story to illustrate this from the Bible. So Daniel was a, was a man who loved God. He was faithful to God. And one time he, he prayed to God. He cried out to God. And, you know, they, an angel showed up with God's answer to his prayer. He said, I am so sorry, man. Uh, I got held up. What do you mean? Well, he said the prince over, over Persia, in other words, a demonic principality over that, that region had actually held him up when he was bringing the, the answer of prayer from God. He said, it wasn't until Michael the archangel showed up, showed up and helped me, then I was able to break free and come to bring this. So you see, just like, now it might sound like weird to you, but hey, what I'm trying to get you to see is that there's this whole bigger reality. You think, God, I've been praying, like what's going on? Guess what? There's this whole dynamic. We just have to have some awareness of that if we're going to persevere through the trials and the tribulations you face. It's a much bigger reality that, that we're, we're a part of, okay? So, so important. So important. Now, um, do I have time? Hmm. Ah, um. oh, man. Sorry. <laughs> Judgment call. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll share the story briefly just to give you a sense of, of the reality of this. So I shared this once before. I'll share it again. But uh, my first year in grad school, I went through uh, just a horrific depression. It was so bad. It started uh, as mere grief turned into a full-blown major depressive episode. 
Um, and um, it was just really bad. It's, it's hard to really put into words. I had post-traumatic stress disorder. Basically, life for me became like a waking nightmare. Uh, and, and because of my theology, I would never do anything to harm myself. But I got to the place where life was so bad that I asked God to take me out many times. And I'm not like proud of that. But I'm just, I want to get real with you. Like I was that low, like God, I can't do it anymore. And, um, uh, thankfully God met me in that. Um, and actually I actually came and this is the only time in my life uh, since I started following Jesus, but, but I came like this close to losing my faith. And, and, and sometimes we think, oh, the things we're going with, well, it's just, well, just the, the natural things, the natural, in my case, there was something way above that, uh, that was going on. I'm, that's why I'm sharing this to illustrate this. So one time, this is, I was a grad student and a guy named J.P. Moreland, who was a professor at where I attended seminary, he had just come back from sabbatical and I had heard through the grapevine that he had been through like this horrific depression and he was going to share his story. And so I went, I've got to hear his, his journey. And so I went, listened, he shared, and he talked about how, you know, his journey was like this multidimensional thing that part of it, there's like a psychological and emotional side that he had to process through and, 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 and pursue healing. Part of it, there's this relational side. He had to open up to others and invite other people into his pain and what he was wrestling with. Uh, part of it, there's even a physical side that like his neurochemistry got all messed up. He had to address that. Uh, but part of it, he said that there was actually like a spiritual dynamic. There was actually an element of spiritual attack. There was actually a very real part of what he had to work through. And everything he said just resonated with my experience. I'm like, that makes so much sense. And at the end, he prayed a prayer for those who were gathered there. And it was just kind of like, if I'm honest, it was just kind of like a, it just felt just kind of like just a very ordinary prayer. But at one point, he, he paused. And I just got the strongest sense. It's like he got a prompting from the Holy Spirit. And he started praying uh, for, for those in the room who are experiencing spiritual attack in Jesus' name. And, and uh, as soon as he started doing that, I experienced like this heat from like the top of my head flow down all the way to the tips of my toes and just like cycling through my body. I didn't know exactly what was going on, but all I can tell is I felt so close to God in that moment. The only way I can describe it is like I felt like I was being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I didn't know what was going on. Just, I, I, when the prayer concluded, it subsided. I'm just like, God, I don't know what that was, but thank you. That, that was encouraging. I, I felt close to God for the first time, and I don't know how long I had, I had this encounter. And so I got back to my little apartment, and I'm walking around, realized, wait a second, S- something's different. Like, something's different. I realized, wait a second, I'm smiling for the first time in months. And so I'm kind of pacing around my apartment, and, and I, I came to this conclusion. I, I think I've been delivered of an evil presence. And, and that was a very hard conclusion for me to come to because I had a very naive theology at that moment in time. I thought either you're like completely out of control. You're like the garrison demoniac. You're like out of your mind, or you're like in this invincible little bubble, you and Jesus, like in this invincible little bubble. You read scripture, guess what? There is a whole range of attack and, and affliction that you can experience from Satan and his minions, even as a follower of Jesus. Guess what? Jesus, hello, like he experienced some things too, right? And, and so in this moment, I just my experience, that was the conclusion I came to. But again, I was struggling to, to accept that. And then right at that moment, I got a call from my mom. And she said, you're, you're never going to believe this. She said, two people had prophetic words for you today. I said, that's amazing. I've never had a prophetic word, letter, let alone two in one day. I don't come from a charismatic background. And, but I said, hey, shoot, like I'd love to hear. And she said, well, your aunt, uh, Susan, she was praying for you today. And she said, as she was praying, she felt like she heard God say that this wasn't going to go on and on which was so encouraging because when you're in a deep, dark depression, you can feel like this is, could be the rest of my life. Like this, I felt like my life was over. 
She said, it's not going to go on and on. I, f- I was so encouraged. But then she said, I was at a small group and, uh, w- with, a, with some women in town, and one of them was, was the leader of this ministry in my hometown. And she is like a legit woman. Like she is like, she leads this ministry with, with like gang, gang members in my hometown in the rough part of town. She is legit. And uh, so I, I took everything she said seriously. And she said, I, I feel like the Lord's given me a word for your son that the Lord wants him to know. That this isn't going to go on and on. Kind of like that word that Jesus had, 10 days. There's going to be a limit here. This isn't forever. This isn't your whole life. But, the, but, but, but for 10 days, you need, to, you need to kind of brace yourself. And, 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 but she also said that, that God's allowing this for a greater purpose, that, that God was allowing me to be sifted, but that once I, I turned the corner, that I would strengthen my brothers. I'm like, wow, that's, that really resonates. I don't really know, like, sifted, like, what does that mean? But I just, like, yeah, that just feels like I've just been like, yeah, just sifted. And um, so that's so encouraging. Right then I got a knock on the door. I'm like, uh, Mom, I'm going to have to call you back. And open the door. It was a friend of mine from across the way, a fellow philosophy student. And this guy did not have a charismatic bone in his body. Uh, and, but he said, okay. And he looked so awkward and uncomfortable. And he was standing there with his Bible in front of him. And, and I said, what, what's going on, man? And he said, uh, so uh, I was in the bathroom. And each time someone starts with that, you're like, where is this going? <laughs> And uh, I said, okay. <laughs> he said, I felt like God told me to give you this, this passage. I'm like, he said, but it's a weird one. He said, so I asked God, are you sure? And I felt like I heard, he said, yes. So I said, like, well, go for it. Like, what do we have to lose? He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And that once you have turned, that you would strengthen your brothers. And I'm like, whoa. And I just almost fell over basically. And I said, bro, come on in. I did like led him in, like, here's what's been going on. And all that to share, just, just to give you a, a sense that, that there is this larger dynamic, not to say that everything is a result of that, but to give you a sense that we are part of a much bigger battle. And that is so important that we keep that in mind if we are going to persevere, because there will be times when that's actually what's going on. You think it's just some whatever, it's actually a bigger dynamic going on. So I just, I just want to make that real for you by sharing that story. So Jesus, he warns this church that there's suffering coming, but he lets them in on this, on this bigger picture. But then in verse 10, he issues this call. He says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. So in the face of trials, in the face of persecution, Jesus' call is be faithful. Be faithful. That is the call. Now, now, what does that look like? What that looks like is you keep going. You, you, you keep going. You don't give up. You don't give in. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other in following Jesus. Uh, last year, I actually do have some good things that happened in my life, but this is, I'm sharing all the, like the hard stories. <laughs> it hasn't all been hell. <laughs> But since we're on this, um, last year, if I'm honest, I just, I went through, a, I had a really hard year. Like it was like so hard and I don't know how much I'm going to share about that, but, but it was just really hard. And, and in that I'm like wrestling with God, like, God, like I've been faithful to you. Like, this is what I get. Like, like, I'm just like, God, like, like where are your promises? And just really wrestling with him. And by the way, if, if Satan can't kind of get you through, you know, to get you to compromise or, you know, to get you to give in to uh, temptation, you know, what he will do is he'll try to discourage you out of your following of Jesus. 
He'll just throw like the kitchen sink at you to get you just to, you know, either get you off the path entirely, or if you can't do that, at least to get you just to sit down and just be ineffectual as a follower of Jesus. And I think so many in this room, my, my sense is just so many of you like, like the enemy's just been coming at you, just trying to discourage you and, and discourage you. And Jesus' call is be faithful, be faithful. Now, um, I, I've got my areas of weakness like, like everyone else, but one of the things that God has given me is tenacity. And I just, I refuse to give up. I just refuse. I'm like Jacob, like wrestling with the angel. I will go all night if I have to. Like I, I will do that. And so this was a season where I, I rest, like I would throw down with God. Like we're doing this. Like I'm just, I'm calling you on your word. Your word says this. Here's my experience. Your word says this. Here's my experience. We're, we're just wrestling. And I think that's just kind of just, I just share that just to give you a sense of like this, to, to be faithful. It looks like you keep going. Uh, a couple pastor friends in this season I went through last year that was hard, that they actually had two independently, two different pastors, the same exact word for me. It was this, faithful plotting. (laughs) Faithful plotting. That's really what perseverance is. It is faithful plotting. Even when you can't see the road ahead, all you can see is your, your two feet. You just put one foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. Faithful plotting, and you refuse to give up or give in faithful plotting. That's what perseverance is. Woody Allen once said that 80% of life is just showing up. I just love it because that's, that, that's been my experience. So much of it's just showing up. That's how you get through these seasons. You just show up. Even when it, you're feeling like I'm getting nothing out of this, you show up and you pray. Even when you feel like, I, I feel so depressed right now, you show up, you're here on Sundays. I'm going to be among God's people because I, I believe that somehow God's going to meet me even if I can't feel it right now. It, it means like you don't isolate, you, you open up to others, you invite people. It means you, you seek the prayer you need, you seek the help you need, you just show up. You just show up, show up. And by the way, notice that this is a letter written to a church, not to an isolated uh, kind of bunch of individuals. It's written to a community. And what that means for us is that if you are going to persevere for the long haul, you need the body of Christ. Like you need the body of Christ you can just forget about doing this thing if, if, if you're on your own. You just, we need each other. And so this is just a call to really, really dive in to your commitment to the body of Christ because we, we need each other in this. We need each other in this. So Ben, uh, why don't you come back up? I'll just try to close this. So Jesus knows that this onslaught is coming to the church uh, at Smyrna, and, and, and like kind of like a good general or a good kind of like football coach, before a, a battle, he says, be faithful. He's basically saying, you know, don't give up. It's, it's going to be hard, but if you overcome, I've got a promise for you. And it's all worth it in the end. Again, in verse 10, he says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. So this is really, this is a promise of, of eternal life, unending life with God for those who persevere. And, and he continues his promise in verse 11. Jesus says, the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. And this is a a reference to the the final judgment. And and what this reveals is that there are real stakes for how we live our lives. But the promise for those who persevere is that even if the worst happens, even if you were to lose your life, you can't lose at the end of the day. You still win because you will inherit the crown of life. Now, I hope this doesn't cheapen the point, but I couldn't help but think uh, of a classic moment in the original Star Wars when Obi-Wan Kenobi turns to Darth Vader and he says, you can't win, Vader. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful 
than you can possibly imagine. You see, the enemy, he can't win because Jesus has already overcome and we share in his victory. And so the call for us as followers of Jesus is to run the race marked out for us, to run, to not grow weary, to run with perseverance, to be faithful to the end. And the letter closes with these words, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So may we have ears today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the God who sees, that you are the God who knows, that you are a God who is with us in our suffering, in our pain, that you yourself experience all the things we go through, God. We thank you that we have a God who empathizes. And so, Lord, I I pray for each person here today, God, that they would know your presence with them in a special way, God, in their grief, in their loss, in their pain, in their brokenness, God, in their worry, in their fear, in their trials. God, would you just come to each person today, God, and, and just reinvigorate them, God, with your spirit, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.